Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today's guest is Chris Duffin, better known and more commonly known as the mad scientist of strength. And uh, Chris Duffin owns Kabuki Strength. He is uh, one of the founders of that company. Um amongst many others. So what you will learn today is that he is a, uh, a serial entrepreneur, a very successful serial entrepreneur. He does quite a bit of different things, but his main passion is strength sport, strength training, coaching, building amazing barbells that you can use in the gym uh, based on his engineering background, which is what kind of gave him the creative and the knowledge around physics on how to create these barbells to eliminate pain. There's, I mean, there's people out there that literally can't bench press because of shoulder pain and shoulder injuries, but they can bench press as long as they use one of his bars. Um, and it, it's, it's the most empowering thing for lifters who have injuries over the years that they can't really control at this point. They're old injuries that resurfaced. Chris kind of gives you a route to get back into the gym and for people like myself, um, who, um, whether you're young or old, maybe you don't have a ton of injuries, but you don't want to get injuries because you love training and you want to continue training for a long period of time. Their barbells are, are perfect for you because it can avoid pain. Um, and that's Kabuki strength. So I'm going to link all of his stuff in the show notes. He also has a book, um, that we dive into today that kind of goes over his life story, uh, which is shockingly, inspiring um shockingly inspiring as in like it's it's shit that you would hear and say that's there's no way that actually happened to somebody that's not real um uh, so powerful that the rock is actually reading his book right now um and there's a documentary in the making that will be on netflix so um you'll learn about that as well and then last but not least this is the only man to ever deadlift and squat 1000 pounds each so he squatted a thousand four reps and he deadlifted a thousand four reps um and mind you he is a hundred plus pounds lighter than most of the people people who have done either one of those things separately and nobody's done it together. So he's, he's a very, very strong individual, extremely smart, very successful. Um, and he has so much to offer today. So I'm going to drop a bunch of links in the show notes, make sure you guys check out what they offer. Um, and if you like this show, if you, if you love it as much as I love this conversation, please do me a huge favor, leave us a five-star rating review, and then take a screenshot of this episode right here, post it on your Instagram story, tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and make sure you tag Chris at the... Uh, I think it's at mad underscore scientist underscore Duffin. If you type in Chris Duffin, you'll see him, but I'll link that in the show notes as well. Um, and without any further ado, let's get on to this amazing conversation with the one and only mad scientist, Chris Duffin. Cool. So the first, the first thing I really want to ask, man, is, is what made you start Kabuki in the first place? Like, what was the thing that drove you to do that? Oh gosh. Uh, well the gym in particular, or like actually turning it into a, to a larger business. Cause it was, a uh, it was a gym for a long time as a side thing to my, my normal career. And, and it was uh, kind of that big scary step of uh, chasing it full time. So um, w- w- which one do you want to focus on? Man, actually, actually I would love to uh, start with why you opened a gym on the side while working a full time job and then how okay. that like sparked and what made you take action on building that. Cause that is a big risk for a lot of people to take. Yeah. So especially when you consider my career, I mean, I was the sought after executive that would come in and do turnarounds for automotive or aerospace manufacturing companies. And like, uh, so one taking on like a, a night gig run with the gym, uh, was a lot. And then finally walking away from that was, uh, was a lot, but, uh, uh, it was really a, I'll have to say a selfish endeavor to some level, uh, just because I, I essentially was getting kicked out of commercial gyms. I think they weren't the right environment for me. Um, you know, I wasn't a, a jerk by any means at all. I've always been like the nicest guy around in the gym, but um, it just, I, I wanted to be the best in the world at what I did. I wanted to chase it. And at the time that was kind of a crazy thing for me to say, you know, I was a state level, you know, guy as far as strength. And, but I knew I needed three things. I needed the right equipment the right methodology 
And so I was hauling my stuff into those commercial gyms like every day. I've got the equipment. Okay, I'm learning how to program. Uh, but I needed the third thing, which was the right environment, the right culture, the right people surrounding me. And that was the only way I, I, I knew that to be at the level I wanted, I needed to create that. And so I think it was around 2003, uh, I shifted from, it was 2005, somewhere in there, I built uh, a home gym in my basement. And next thing you know, there's a bunch of people training in my basement with me, right? <laughs> they found me on YouTube or wherever. And they're like, oh my God, you're in Portland. Let's, let's link up. And the next awesome. thing you know, I'm like, okay, we've outgrown that. We're in my, we're in my garage. And I've got like 20 people tra tra training in my garage, uh, hauling sleds up and down the street, you know, and pissing off the neighbors. And my wife's like, this isn't going to work. You need to get a space. So around 2008, 2009, me and uh, my training partner, uh, who was a bigwig in the, the real estate development uh, arena, uh, Rudy, he was actually just on Bar Bend, I think, yesterday for his, uh, his 71 years old. Um, a, little, a little tangent here. Uh, I think it was a 430-pound uh, squat, a 303 bench, and a, and a 518 deadlift at 71 years old. Wow. So that is crazy. Tested, so. I'll find, I'll find anyway. that and link that in the show notes for people to listen. That's cool. But uh, uh, we ended up leasing a 4,000 square foot uh, facility. And both of us had really successful careers. We never thought this is going to be our gig, but we loved, we wanted the right environment to be successful. And honestly, we just loved coaching people. Like we loved, I mean, that's what we did uh, as a career was leadership, right? which is, you know, getting people to achieve things they never thought were, would be possible. And that's, that's what business is about, right? And it's the same thing in the gym. It's the same thing as a coach, right? And so it was just so rewarding for us to be able to go in in the evening, train, and, you know, we'd have 100 people as members, small, small place, but just this hardcore place that people would find. No advertising, no nothing. And then... Uh, we were there for about three, four years or something. And we moved into a, a 9,000 square foot space and we had that as a gym. And all the time that we we're doing this, I would be designing the you know, equipment because I'm like, nothing's good enough. Nothing's right. Because <laughs> uh, that's my background. I've got you know, two engineering degrees and I worked in you know, manufacturing, ran engineering teams for almost two decades. And uh, it's just like, I'm a perfectionist. I'm like, it's just not right. And so we'd end up we filled the place with all my own stuff. We'd buy some equipment, I'd modify it. <laughs> I'd build it from scratch, like it's not good enough. And uh, we'd always joke and say, we should bring this to market. And then a couple of years would go by and that product would be on the market. And we're like, God, we should have done that. So that went on until 2005 and, or 2015. And so in 2015, you know, I was at this point in my life that I was evaluating a lot of things and I kind of dive into this book, but I had a, I had a really crazy life and in, you know, just showing that I could be stable and successful was like this big piece for me, have a house with a white picket fence, uh, which I did, you know, a successful job, a wife and a couple kids. And I'm like, I've, I've made the American dream <laughs> and, and I, but I wasn't happy. Like I could never find happiness. I kept changing a new company to turn around, new this challenge, new. I'm like, I couldn't find my happy spot. And uh, so I, I started on this you know, journey of self-reflection and realized that I was doing all those things because that's what I thought I was expected to do. And I really realized that, you know, I, I believe I have a gift to help people. And, you know, some of that I was able to do in, you know, the, my, my leadership career, the coaching I was doing on the side. Um, but also tying in kind of the knowledge that I developed uh, through the years, which is another story maybe we can t jump into about uh, the network of, of connections that I built, like top tier uh, clinicians and researchers and all this stuff uh, that became my friends. You know, I'm texting Stu McGill and Kelly Starrett and Craig, all these people, right? Uh, here's a question on this. What, what do you think about this? And, and, um, and so I'm like, I, I can help people like I, just the little bit of articles and videos I put on the web. Like there's people like, a, you know, message me, Oh my God, you changed my life. You got me out of pain. You got, and I'm like, this is just with some words, like, 
in my spare time. And so at that point, you know, my kids were getting a little older. I knew they were going to be getting in sports. And I'm like, I, this is a scary move. Like I make good money. I've got a secure career and I'm going to be Kabuki strength employee. Number one, because we never had employees. It was just a, you know, a key card gym. And, uh, I launched the company with uh, pre-orders on a shoulder rock, which at the time nobody knew what mace swinging was, but I said, Hey, this is something I've been using. I developed this idea. I'm going to help people with shoulder health. Here's this product. And you know what? People that followed me, they're like, if Chris says it, it's legit. And they bought, like some people bought it sight unseen. And uh, I used that money to fund uh, uh, that, the first production run and combined that with a whiskey and deadlift shirt. <laughs> and uh, that was the start of Kabuki Strength. Like, and then uh, uh, it's just, uh, you know, I was employee number one that first year in 2015. We ended up hiring a couple more before the end of the year. Uh, we're, we're getting close to about 50 employees now, and that's just one of my businesses. So uh, I also have uh, uh, Barefoot Athletics focused on the uh, uh, foot and ankle uh, complex. So it's a minimalist shoe company, uh, Build Fast Formula, uh, focused on supplementation and doing things right in that industry. And then uh, there's another one that's going to be launching shortly um, uh, that is a... Uh, it's got some intellectual property that's really going to turn the inertia flywheel business on its, on its head with some patents that we have. Uh, so, uh, uh, so Kratos is that company and it's going to be launching before the end of the year, which will freak out some uh, people, all the existing players in that market. So uh, that's the first anybody's going to hear about is on your podcast. <laughs> I love it, man. You got a lot going on. That's, that's awesome. As, as an entrepreneur um, and a young one, uh, I'm 28. It's, it's super. Oh inspiring. man, you got so much in head, ahead of you, man. Yeah. Well, I, you, I didn't get started. You think about this. I didn't get started till I was 38. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so I got into a gym, started training people at 18. I got a mentor, went into a functional training. I just interned, worked for free. And I was like in this underground gym at 18 years old. So I got an early start, but we're at a part in the company now where there's 11 of us. We have coaches almost in every continent. Um, we're expanding and now I'm starting, the wheels are starting to turn of like, what's next? Like, what can I create yep. next? So like hearing your story is super inspiring for me personally. That's, uh, that's great to hear. Yeah. And it's, you know, what makes an entrepreneur is that there's a lot of things, but uh, being able to sit back and really have some intuition about uh, where the future is heading and being that future, like the stuff that I brought, like you, it was funny. I, I posted a little video of me doing an ab roll out yesterday and somebody's like, man, I remember your old videos on YouTube on breathing, embracing. And, and I'm like, you know what? When I put those videos out, people had no idea what I was talking about. That was literally not a discussion in the strength training industry. And now it's, it's ubiquitous. Yeah. Like everybody, everybody talks about it all the time. Most people get it wrong because they just don't have an understanding of, of the eccentric loading of that cavity. But uh, those discussions weren't even having it was all arch your back you know uh you know squeeze your glutes like that was that was how you set up for a big lift and uh it's just crazy like those conversations and again the tools uh mace swinging is now a thing there's mace swinging gurus there's a lots of companies making them i'm like well where do you think the popularity came from? I know I'm sounding like I'm tooting my own horn. I, I am, uh, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, it's being able to, you know, identify those things and bring those ahead of the curve uh, to the market, just like specialty barbells. You know, they were just like some extra add-on that people did. Uh, and usually they were made in somebody's home garage, you know, somewhere just as a, it was just not a, not really a thing. It wasn't a professional thing. And now, 90% uh, of all professional sports teams uh, use them, use yeah. Kabuki. <laughs> That's wild. Them. So it's like Major League Baseball. Three teams don't use our products right now. That's it. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. our, our approach to soft tissue, uh, like all these sorts of things are, you know, um, every major D1 school out there and 600 plus more. Uh, you know, we're, we work with Olympic athletes. We work with Tour de France teams. We work with the NHL. We work like when I, <laughs> it's, it's crazy, um, you know, where we've been able to do that and bring these things to, to the forefront that just were not there. 
it was some specialty thing that like a power lifter would cycle in in a certain training cycle or as an accessory movement of and using some homemade contraption uh, being sold on some site, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I'm, I'm rambling on here, but it's really freaking cool to see. It is cool. And so that's, rambling, been the journey, that's been the journey. <laughs> the, the rambling's good. It paints a good picture. And I think that the thing that I find so valuable and interesting about the way you create specialty bars is sometimes when you see specialty bars, it's kind of just like a cool bar. Like it's, it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, it's just cool. Or it's a just different way to lift or a different way to hold it. But the, the stories that people have about never being able to press to now I can press because I use this specialty bar, like yeah. that's the cool shit. So um, one of the questions I thought of this morning when I was, I, I went back and listened to a couple podcasts that uh, I had listened to of you in the past just to kind of get, get your story back in my head before we talked. And uh, I never really actually put together why you were the mad scientist. Like I remember seeing you in person at the seminar and being like, oh, it's the mad scientist. I've been following you. So I know you're the mad scientist. And when I started hearing about your engineering background and then you taking that into the barbell, I was like, is that, is that what created that nickname? The mad scientist is like, you're taking this engineer mind and bringing it to the strength space. Uh, yeah. And so when I first started doing that, uh, I showed up down in, uh, uh, Vegas, uh, when I launched Kabuki strength, uh, with the shoulder rock to work. Actually, I was working on stand efforting with some back pain and, mm-hmm. uh, doing Eric Spoto's, uh, rehab for his shoulder. So he could set the all time, uh, at the time, all time, uh, world record on the bench press and, uh, Stan, you know, he shows up and he's like filming a video and he's like, here's the mad scientist, Chris Duffin. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's really fitting. So he, uh, he gave me that moniker, but yeah, it's this, it just refer to whiskey and deadlifts. Like it, it is actually a thing. It works. A small dosed amount of alcohol timed at the right time can actually be a performance enhancer for a number of reasons as a whole it's really negative for, for overall your physical uh, health or hormones and all that other stuff. Um, but anyway, it's these crazy, but they, they actually work. They actually make sense. They actually, uh, it's just this different perspective. So uh, like I said, uh, especially bar people think of as like this other piece that you could kind of use in uh, versus like something that can become a cornerstone and actually improve biomechanics. Cause not everybody is built to be able to do the lifts that we do uh, you know, we've got different limb links, we've got different torso, like all these sorts of things, these mechanics come in. Everybody loves to laugh at, uh, some NBA players and things that their squat looks like shit, like, ha ha ha. Well, that person with those levers can never do a barbells back squat without compromising in some manner. Like Mm -hmm. you go try to coach it. It's not going to happen, but we can actually change those mechanics. So, so the way I look at things, and this is what puts separates Kabuki strength, is we don't look at things in the market perspective, because everything we do, as you'll notice, has been new to the market. So how do you do market analysis? Yeah. Uh, it's not like, oh, those are selling, let's make those. It's looking at the principles around human movement, looking at that space in the gym and going, what are the gaps with how we know that we should move and load and we end up creating these tools that are very simple. The Cadillac bar, you just mentioned like, okay, so people can, that can't bench, like can't take an empty bar to their chest, their first time putting their hands pretty consistently, will be able to you know, hit two plates for reps if they've been a prior, prior it, with no pain to a three inch deeper grade of motion. Why is that? Okay, and there's some simple physics that actually makes sense in how we do that. Um, it looks like a Swiss bar or a football bar, as you would. It's a neutral grip bar where the handles are offset 90 degrees to where a bar normally would, uh, which improves uh, the shoulder mechanics as far as internal versus external rotation. But it has the same physics as what a teeter-totter does, okay? It's the handle is at 90 degrees to the center of mass and center of rotation. And what that means is it's just like a teeter-totter. You walk into a playground, one side's always going to be sitting on the ground. It can never actually perfectly balance. It's, there is a perfect balance point. There is, but it's infinite in perfect to find it. So what that means, you can't actually ever find it. And so now we're throwing load on your wrist, creating this unstable environment. And all we've got to do is treat it like a swing. We walk into a playground, a swing is sitting dead center. Why is that? Center of mass, where you're sitting, 
is blow center of rotation where the chains are attached to the bar. It will automatically find center. So we lower the weight below that, below that area. We angle the handles to get a really nice internal to external rotational uh, uh, balance, leaving just a little bit of room still to cue external rotation so you can get engagement of the lat and control of the shoulder. Well, guess what? That position actually changes the wider that your hands go or the narrower your hands go. So every one of our hand positions is a little bit different. You know, it might be two and a half, three degrees, but it matches the, the arc of the shoulder. Really simple stuff. You put it all together and you put it in someone's hands and all of a sudden you have, you've stacked every joint leading into that shoulder. You've added a balance at a, at a point where it was taken away from it by a prior bar and, and it just changes the dynamics. It tells the body, hey, it's safe to play in this range of motion. We get different neurological inputs and boom, all of a sudden it's, it's crazy. When you see it happen in person, it's crazy that it's like, how that works, but it's, it's, it's simple stuff. And it's just putting those minor, they're, they're really very fine refinements, but being able to understand where those come from and how to do it can make this just a huge benefit. Um, yeah, it's, and then it's not an extra add on. Like I'm actually setting up a garage gym at home right now uh, with only Kabuki. So I can show people that these aren't extra toys. Like if I have a trap bar, guess what? It's actually the best bar that I can find for doing overhead pressing because uh, the open, I can throw it up over my head, right? Doesn't, there's no beam to interfere with me. Mm -hmm. If you're doing curls, like uh, it's open, it goes around the body, single leg work, lunges, rear leg elevated split squats, all those sorts of things. Boom. Um, if you check out our bar, it's got a little bit more in design, the coolness than that, like the loading features and other stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've incorporated the same, the same concept. Nobody else seems to get these really basics. You notice when people use trap bars, they always grab the high handle position. It's not just because it's higher. What is it? Center of mass is below center of rotation in your hands. What happens when you pick up the, 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 the frame right there at the same, it, it's like it's diving forward on you. It's pitching back, especially if you're doing like uh, uh, any sort of single leg work or a carry. It's always you're fighting this instability. It's that's it, you have instability in the hand. So our low handle position is actually offset by three eighths of an inch. Not much, just enough, but it makes a world of difference in feel. Uh, so the range of motion is essentially the same. And but now all of a sudden we've taken out some of that instability and. Not all instability is bad, but you have to understand where and how you want to implement it, okay? Um, so anyway, uh, <laughs> there I go again. <laughs> I love it. I think, pull me in a little bit sometimes, Cody. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, good. it's good because I think that, you know, I always tell guests, I'm like, if a rant's coming, just let it go because that's usually where all the gold comes out. And, and uh, the trap bar was actually the first product of your guys' that I used, and that's when I was like, okay, this is different. And the funny thing is, is I've used other companies' trap bars that tried to mimic what you guys have I know. Done, it's, yeah. Which is funny because it, from, from a person who doesn't understand a lot of what you're saying, they would look online and just be like, oh, well, this is cheaper. Let me, like, what's, that's the only difference, you know? But when you put it in your hands, it's, it's a completely it's different when thing. When it's in your hands, yeah. That's it is. When the, that's when you know it. Like, yeah. you know, like, you can feel it. Your body feels it. And I don't have a, that's why we work with all these sports teams. Like, show up, put it in their hands. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that I, I need that. I need yeah. that for my athletes. Right. Yeah. Um, cause that that's once people have experienced that it's a, it's a done deal. So how important do you think I always ask people that are like really, um, like kind of a corny line, but in the trenches, so to speak this question, because, you know, I posted something on Instagram the other day. That's, it was uh, 17 things to consider in your programming before volume and intensity. And it was just an example of, of something you were saying earlier, thought of a trigger in mind. I worked with this guy in person that was like seven feet tall and it just completely threw me for a loop because I was a young trainer and I was like, nothing works the same with this massive man. Um, and you were talking about mechanics and movement and all these things. It's like, those things should be like paramount. But if you look at a lot of research, everything is just centered around volume and intensity and a lot of, especially the bodybuilding space, but a lot of the industry talks so heavily about that. And I find it's these people who, like you said, you know, all these researchers, you understand science, but you also have so much real world experience. And that's actually what probably makes you so great at not only creating bars, but at, at being an athlete and being a coach. Um, 
Would you agree with it, that? I would. It's that mix of stuff. You've got to, you've got to have the, it, it's not, it, it's not one or the other. It's not one's better than the other. Um, but you need both. And I've always been a big believer of you need to walk the walk of what you do, what you teach, uh, what you research, all those sorts of things. You've got to, you've got to have that experience to just know, like, mm -hmm. what does that really, when I, when I, when I'm, when I'm doing some research and it's showing, Hey, this variable, when I adjust this, this is the result I get. What's that actually feel like? You got to know that too, especially as a coach. Mm -hmm. What does this feel like? Yeah. And so, um, and, and here's the thing, like you learn so rapidly when you actually put yourself on the edge. So those big feats of strength, you know, I was doing them to raise money for charity. Yeah. I was doing them for self-exploration to see what I was capable of and put some challenge in front of me. But it's also my mini lab, like, because when you test things, when you're on that line of like what's capable and not, and you're like just about to you're ready to fall apart. You're right there. Those minor subtle changes that might take you six months or a year of like having in your training, your diet or your recovery routine to really know whether it works or not. You may find out in weeks, days, hours uh, when you're in those spots. And uh, so, you know, when you're squatting to 800 pounds every day and you need to recover for tomorrow, <laughs> you, you got to you're going to find out really fast yeah. what the, whether what you're doing is going to work or not, or the train's just going to come at you and go right over you. Yeah. And so it's the, that's the ultimate playground of like putting the research and thoughts to practice in the trenches and, and really getting that uh, experience and doing that has really accelerated uh, that for me. And it's, it's, it's definitely not something I, I recommend at that level. Like for, uh, I, you know, I was doing that because I could perform it. Like, I don't want people to actually push. There's a lot of dangers that come around with walking that fine line. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's yeah. not, that's not, not a good thing as a whole. And I can tell you from personal experience <laughs> for myself, for people that do in their lives, because you're going to fall over the edge of the cliff from time to time. And that's going to affect your whole life. And you don't want to do that. It's yeah. not worth it. And so, um, but anyway, that's my, my personal experience because I've been that 99.999 percentile for, you know, for, for performance. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that little extra to uh, take on that risk or I was, I don't anymore. So <laughs> well, when you start getting into um, that percentage of people, it's, it's a rare percentage. That's, where there's not a lot of science to even help. It's just no, kind of there, there is, there is nobody knows exactly what you know, there's no research on that. Yeah. None. And, and, you know, so we're, uh, we're predominantly a nutrition coaching company. That's like our main thing. And metabolic adaptation is like this huge, everybody's always talking about metabolic adaptation and the research gives us a lot of information. But if you look at the people in the studies, they're all people who have never trained or dieted before. And it's yeah. like, well, what about the, the lady who has dieted 16 times over the last five years or done four bikini competitions and has starved herself? And that's where uncharted the, territory. What you're, you've got to understand, like in your coaching process, you're collecting, you're tracking all those variables, right? You're seeing, you're recording the, the results of this. Like that is that's data. When people want to want to say, where's the evidence? Hey, here's, here's the evidence. I worked with a hundred different people. Here's the variables I played with and here's the results I got. I'm sorry that that's evidence. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Like <laughs> evidence doesn't necessarily mean where's the research paper yeah. that's 15 years behind. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> Cause it takes forever. Um, <laughs> so so, uh, you know, we, that, that's where we've got to, we've got to take that, uh, you know, when we're talking evidence-based coaching. We've also got to take those other pieces into, uh, uh, into consideration without a doubt. Yeah. I think, uh, we have a, a chief science officer on our team and it's been really cool because he has all this research experience that he's bringing in and I'm constantly bringing in anecdotal experience as well. And I think it is that collaboration, which really segues into the next thing I want to talk to you about, which is the thousand pound squat and deadlift, which I'm pretty sure you're the only person who has done that. Um, and that's a, a perfect example of where like training for that, there's no, there's no scientific program or research to show you what you should do for that. It's, it's really like, yeah. let's fucking do it and see <laughs> how we get there. Yeah. 
I mean, a lot of it was, you know, following a lot of the, you know, scientific principles of training. Yep. When we look at, you know, how the body functions, we're basically looking at the same principles again, uh, as far as, you know, how we manage and control the spine, you know, what's going on in the foot complex and like ma managing those variables when things are falling out, driving back to it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm the only person that's both squatted and deadlifted a thousand pounds and I did both of them for reps. So, so just, to just to throw the mark up there. Um, I'm pretty sure, uh, Thor could do have done that when the, when he was strong, if he trained specifically for the squat, like I had, he did, he did do the deadlift for reps and he was, I think getting close on the, the squat. And if he'd focused on it, he would have done it. But, uh, now he's losing weight and focusing on other things. So it's going to be a while before anybody else does it. So, <laughs> well, and it's, and it's, what made you want to do that? Cause a lot of times, uh, and, and I'm not as experienced in the powerlifting world as you are, but, um, usually people kind of have their, their lift where they're really good. And sometimes you can have like a squat and deadlift or squat or deadlift and the bench, but uh, it's from leverages and biomechanics. Not everybody's great at doing both. Right. No, so like, that's exactly why I chose to do it because <laughs> When I did a, a big deadlift, people would go, oh, you're built for deadlifting. You're this, that. I'm like, yeah, I'm 5'11", 5'10 and a half, uh, perfectly average, perfectly average wingspan to, uh, you know, to height ratio. Like everything is perfectly normal, but like somehow like you're built to deadlift. I'm like, no, what you're seeing is good, clean movement. <laughs> So it looks like it's not as much work because it isn't because I focus on learning to lift good. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then if you do a big squat, it's like, ah, oh, same thing. So I'm like, I'm going to do both. And, you know, the basis of what we teach is the number one priority uh, it, within the body is being able to manage and control uh, spinal mechanics. It has the largest, we, we say that based on it having the largest global impact. Okay. I can't focus on what the shoulder is doing for range of motion and other stuff if I don't control what the, the spine's doing, right? It changes completely. Everything, there's so many things. So, um, and what demonstrates that more than both the squat and the deadlift? So, again, walking the walk, you know, putting the stuff that we teach uh, into place and in that, you know, ultimate exposure experience. And it took me four years. Well, I think five years for because I, I trained for the deadlift for a year, and then spent a few years doing exhibition, and then fully focused on just the squat for another year before doing that one. Um, so it was a number of years to again, and that's on top of uh, thirty years of training almost prior to that. I started training in nineteen eighty-eight. So, um, and, so and how, just a frame uh, of reference. What was your? I weight? didn't. I wasn't, uh, what's that? What was your weight? Because I know you mentioned Thor and Thor is like 400 pounds or some shit. Uh, yeah. When he was 440 pounds when he did the, uh, uh, when he did the deadlift, I think person. it was actually bigger. He might've been closer to 460. He was normally competing at 440. Um, anyway, so yeah, the only, uh, of the six people that have deadlifted a thousand pounds, um, five of them are 380 plus pounds. Uh, of all the people that have squatted a thousand pounds, yeah, all are substantially, again, way heavier than me by about like a hundred pounds or so. So I was, when I did the deadlift, I was two, uh, 262 that morning. And when I did the squat, I was, uh, I think I was right around, I was in the low 280s as well. So I bulked up like the fatter, the fat, like I, I just want to get it done, like whatever it takes. So uh, that's as fat as I could get. I kept trying. Um, Maybe I needed some nutrition coaching in the bad way. <laughs> it was all about just caloric dense foods at that point yeah. and force feeding. And I, had, I hit 285 at my peak. Yeah. So that is wild, man. And it's extremely impressive. And, and one thing I really want to, because I, I, ha I have to talk to you about your book today, but I think this, this kind of ties into it. Um, you said, I said, that's, that's unheard of to do both. And you were like, that's exactly why I wanted to do it. And, and something I've heard you talk about with your book was kind of teaching people that lesson, right? Like, like strength applies resistance and overcoming resistance is really what allows us to continually grow as, as human beings. Um, so I'd love to get your take on that and then just kind of a, a insight into your book. And then I have a couple yeah. questions around, uh, around the book that we can dive into. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the human condition as a whole, right? Um, we are built to adapt to stress. So, 
that means you go into the gym, right? You lift weights and you become more resilient for the next time that happens. And you're going to be a you know stronger, better version of yourself. If you break your arm and put it in a cast, the process of atrophy starts, the, this degradation, right? And so the same thing applies to all aspects of life, be it uh, not just physical, but mental, emotional, all these sorts of things. But it's, you got to manage it. If I go do daily doubles of CrossFit workouts for, you know, uh, seven days a week, I'm not going to adapt to that. Uh, it's going to be on my capacity to recover from. And so I'm going to be on a downward spiral. So stress isn't always good, but we need to have it in our lives. Uh, if you don't, that process of atrophy starts. Okay. It's simple fact. So it's not just growing, it's living as a whole. Like we as human beings try to seek and find comfort and it, it's, you'll, you'll find that that is actually not what we need. You need that at times, but that is not what we need. And so understanding that, you know, those challenges and things that come at you in life, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's an opportunity you for you to become a stronger and better version of yourself to develop resilience, okay? And if they're not coming, you probably need to step up and go seek some out. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of a lot of what the book is about. And um, so it's, it's a book, it's, it's, it's my life story mixed with philosophy and lessons and really not giving you any answers on things. Um, but really driving you on the process of introspection and, and finding the right questions to ask yourself, to really understand what you want out of life, how you approach it, and uh, as well as understanding that if you've been through rough stuff, it's not, it's not who you are. You're not, I'm the, I'm, I'm the guy with a broken back. I'm the guy with a, uh, you know, I'm the way I am because I had alcoholic parents. I am this, like defining yourself by the, the environmental things or things that have happened to you is not who you are. You're defined by your actions and responses to those things. That's what you have control of. So I use my life story as, as an example for that. So it makes a great uh, uh, motivational read at the same time. So I grew up uh, homeless in the mountains in Northern California. And so that involves, you know, uh, trying to fish, uh, hunting, foraging for mushrooms, like all sorts of things to try to make ends meet. Living in, uh, living in shacks, living in tents, um, living in, you know, condemned homes, uh, a lot of times with no, no electricity, no running water. And that was my experience uh, growing up for quite some time. Uh, until uh, until high school, we actually got a mobile home in high school. Uh, didn't have doors and didn't have a kitchen, but you know we it was pretty damn cool. Running water and electricity, I'll take that anytime. And uh, so there was a lot of trauma in there. Um, there was interactions with uh, murderers, uh, serial killer, human trafficking, a lot of drug and alcohol abuse, drug running it's a, it's, it's an action packed thriller. I will say that. Okay. Uh, and then uh, I, uh, I ended up taking custody of my sisters, my three sisters when I was in college uh, to get them out of that environment. And I raised all of them while I uh, got my engineering degree uh, because of that, I actually ended up falling short, like 11 credits of my second engineering degree. But uh uh, so I always say engineering degrees because I did all the work. And then the, the, the last term, I was just like, I've got too much. I'm working full time. I'm buying a house. I'm raising like, ah, I'm going to go get my master's degree. So, so I got an MBA and then I, I went down the, uh, the corporate route and did that thing as I talked about earlier. So we'll, we'll skip all of that. Um, but every chapter in this book provides a lot of the lessons that, that I learned and it, and it really drives you to ask questions about yourself in your life and really understanding what are your values what do you how do you want to live and and out of that uh, being able to create some goals uh, that will allow you to execute a life to realize them and uh, uh, that's uh, exactly you know what I've been doing through my life so it's two pieces 
uh, the eagle and the dragon. So the eagle is the first half of the book, and that's really about finding and understanding your own strengths. And the second half, the dragon, uh, is uh, uh, the piece about really understanding what those values are, who you want to be, and creating purposefully creating that version of yourself within this world. And uh, that's that's where I'm at now. I mean, and let me know if you've thought about this. It could literally be a movie. Yes. It, it really so, could be. Like yeah. a really good movie too because it's, it's, I, it's a story I, I, of time. It, it's got all the things. There's actually, a, you know, uh, there's, <laughs> there, there's some, some key things in there. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. It is a movie. It's uh, being made right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, a document. There's a documentary being done. It'll probably be on Netflix. Uh, I think later next year. Oh, that's uh, awesome. But, uh, it's about the the Grand Goals campaign, but it ties into the backstory and then where I'm going after, like not doing that stuff anymore. But as a as a movie itself, yeah, it could be. It's got all those pieces. I've always thought like you you describe it to people and they're like no way that's not fucking real yeah and it's like no i that's what i lived like this yeah. is this is my life um and uh so i i'd love to see it uh, at some point maybe maybe we will uh the rocks reading my book right now so we'll see where that goes i don't know is he really <laughs> yeah that's a that is that that itself is a big accomplishment so you never know he might he might just hit you up and I don't know. That was my, that's my hope. That's my hope, right? Yeah. Um, one thing you said uh, is really powerful that I think a lot of people need to hear again. And I'd love to kind of dive a little bit deeper in this is, is you talked about your, your environment doesn't control who you are. It doesn't define you. Um, and earlier you said you had to seek out the environment that would create you in a sense, because you were trying to become something different. Um, so do you think it's, it's more of a choice between environments and, and people have to essentially be okay with leaving the environment they're in if it's if it's not the environment that's going to build them into the person they want to become absolutely um that that can be one of your choices and responses to those things right uh it is it is something that you've got to look at at some point in your life that you know some of the relationships and things that you have they may be past ones from high school or childhood or college or whatever it is and you know i'm not saying you know, disregard the people that are negative, um, but disregard the ones that are negative for the sake of bringing you down. Sometimes it's to challenge you, to question you, that people feeling better for you, but there's a, there's a difference there. And you've got you've to understand that difference. And, and you want to fill your life with people that, you know, want, have those same values, that be able to, that are driven and trying to, if you're, if you're, if you're trying to better yourself and drive yourself to be forward, uh, you don't want to, your energy is going to get consumed with going only outwards towards the people uh, in your life and never getting that back in. That's what that, I mean by that environment that you need to seek, to have that environment that is supportive of where you're going, uh, that has the same, doesn't have to be the exact same thing. Don't fill your life with yes men. Uh, I can point out many failures of that in our industry. Um, so that's not, that's not the, the point. Like my, our, our work environment here at Kabuki, like we have a lot of heated arguments and meetings and things like that, but it's because we have this same vision about where we want to go. It's a shared vision, but we may see different differences in how we get there. And because we care so much, mm -hmm. that's where it comes from. And that beauty can come out of it. So don't fill your life, you know, finding the right environment isn't finding people that are just going to say yes and be positive about everything that you do. They may call you to the plate. Okay. That's okay. But what we want is we don't want those energy drains in our life. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's not going to be a positive thing. And that's the, uh, and that's a choice to find and create that environment because it doesn't just happen by chance that everybody, you know, is going to be that way in your life. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think uh, I often tell people that you you sometimes have to almost force yourself into the right environment because, yeah. you know, I can think of when I was 18, 19, I like persisted and persisted and persisted until he let me be an intern work for free and start lifting with them at night with this crew of dudes that were all 10 plus years older than me that have so much experience because I was like 
that's the environment I need to be in. That's the environment yeah. I want to learn from. You know, I was the youngest guy there. Um, and, and that's happened uh, in, I, I flew out to Vegas for an event and just kept pestering the dude to get dinner with me until I ended up working with him. He became a mentor and then we ended up building business together. Like it was this like cool thing, but it was because I, I literally forced myself <laughs> into another yeah. state. And but at the same time as you were doing that, you were showing them how much you value mm. what they're doing which is actually giving them something back. So yeah. when you're trying to build relationships, you know, within the industry, I mean, relationships are the key driver to everything. Um, it, you've got to know, it's not a sending somebody a message on LinkedIn. It's not a saying, hey, I'd love to pick your brain. Let's, uh, I'd love to have an opportunity to have coffee with you. Well, how many people are going to say that same thing yeah. for those people that are leaders, right? And so, how do you bring them value first? Okay. And that can be a hard thing to do. So for me, like I use the fact of, Hey, I'm, I'm a recognized strength athlete. And if I'm coming to you and I want to follow your, your techniques and just, I'm going to talk about this and that's going to give you validation. I don't have to say that stuff out. Right. Right. But like, if I'm showing up to your seminars and I'm preaching your stuff, like, it's going to pull you out of the person that gets criticized as that's only research that doesn't really work in the real world to they can go oh, look at this guy look right there okay um but finding those pieces where you can add value and sometimes it's simple as that is really um you know people all the time hit me up oh, i want to do this you know if you're ever in my town yeah i'd love for you to come visit me and <laughs> let's have coffee okay no but the person that shows up here uh, you know, flies from somewhere else in the world or the States and, and hangs out for a week, I'm going to end up signing some time, some time during that week to go spend a little time with them. Yeah. yeah. Um, because, you know, maybe they're doing some consults with our coaches or stuff in the interim, doing some training at the gym, but they've invested in us in some manner. But the person says, I really love, I'm like, well, have you ever signed up and gone to one of our seminars? Have you participated in our coaching? Have you like any of these things? No, no. No. And so invest in the person that you want to develop a relationship. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. So invest in them and figure out how you can add value to them. Okay. And that's the way that you're going to do that. And you were very purpose, like how many people were doing that? You were really walking that walk and showing them like, I value you. Yeah. And the first response is going to be no. And the yep. second response is going to be no. And the third response is going to be no. Right? Yeah. 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 But eventually, you know, if, if you keep, if you do it the right way, and, and it's funny that you said, exactly. Don't be annoying. <laughs> yeah. Cause, and I've even told people like, uh, like, Hey, don't use the word pick, pick your brain. Cause I remember a long time ago, a mentor told me, he was like, Hey, just never, never that. <laughs> yeah. Just never ask anybody to pick their brain. And I was like, why? And he was like, just trust me, don't do it. And then I later learned, um, that it's just an annoying term and it's annoying and it's a one way yeah. It's a one-way value stream. Yep, exactly. Right right up front. Yep. I got nothing for you. I just want to take. I yeah. want to take your energy. I want to take your time. Yep. And, and you know what? Like, in the, and this is like selfishly, that's one of the reasons why I love this podcast because it's like, you know, it's grown and we get a ton of downloads now. So now I can say like, hey, like I have this platform for you to share your story and to push your products. Like I want like to give you this opportunity yep. and I just want to hear your story. I want you to just pour that into me because I, I grow so much from the conversations I get to have. Um, I mean, shit, I used to pay for consultations like this all the time. So the fact that I can do it as part of my career now is I'm just so grateful for it. It's so cool. Yeah, I know. It's podcasts are absolutely awesome for that. Yeah. So now, uh, there's a certain point too, right? Like everybody's going to run out and start a podcast just so they can do it. Like you got to have some listeners to add yeah. some value to the person too. So just yeah. FYI, if you yeah. hit me up, <laughs> yep, that's exactly be one right. of the things, the first things I ask you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I want to ask you one question before I let you go, cause we're running out on time. Um, it, it, it's, I wanted to ask you earlier, but we just kept kind of going down the the path, which is fine. Cause it was a great conversation, but, um, you talked about all these names that you kind of connected with in the beginning and you just got done talking about building relationships in the industry and how important that is. And I couldn't agree more. So I'm just curious who some of those uh, initial people that influenced you were, who were you learning from? Who did you go meet? And, and how did you build those relationships? Because I, I get questions all the time, like, what should I be reading? Who should I be following? And it's never like 
influencers that they know. They're like, who's that guy? I'm like, he's, he's a legend. Yeah. Like you read everything he's put out. It's not on Instagram. It's, it's elsewhere. Just go, go research him. But um, I, I would love for you to drop some names and kind of tell us how you did that, how you developed those. Yeah. So uh, uh, the first one, really good connection was uh, Dr. Philip Snell. So he is uh, in the Northwest here. He's one that sets up a lot of uh, conferences on particular the education that I love. Uh, and he's been a, a leader in uh, basically uh, back pain management, uh, spinal stabilization. Uh, he lectures, uh, he's got a course at uh, the chiropractic school here. And um, he was the first person I went to as a, uh, as a doctor that told me that he didn't have an answer. I love going in there like, oh, let me tell you what your problem is and how to fix it. He's like, I, I, I don't know. He's like, I have some ideas, but you're a person outside of the norm of what anybody deals with. So I don't want to say that it worked. It's going to work. Yeah. And, uh, and then he also went to show me the first thing is uh, he's going to show me an overhead RNT squat. And I'm like laughing in my brain. I'm like, oh, this is going to be funny. Doc showing me how to squat. And then he executed a perfect squat. And I'm like, okay, you caught my attention. I don't see that very often with a physician. Yeah. Like that was perfect. And I'm like, so I'm going to listen to what you have to say and let's do some research. And he ended up uh, doing a lot of uh, kind of some of the initial introductions for me. So uh, he's got a website, fixyourownback.com, my rehab exercise uh, or exercises. I'm not sure which one.com. Uh, and he's now on site and working on developing our clinical platform uh, here at Kabuki Strength. So um, but uh, uh, he introduced me to Dr. Craig Liebenson uh, in LA. So Craig is, uh, I don't know, his book is lying around here, Spinal Rehabilitation. He's, he brought the Prague School of Medicine uh, DNS philosophy, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, to the United States. And he's been a key kind of uh, industry person in, in leading a lot of uh, uh, change uh, around movement and thoughts around uh, uh, clinical integration with uh, with actual sports performance. Uh, so he is, uh, both these guys are on our advisory board, you can guess that. Uh, uh, Snell introduced me to Dr. Stuart McGill. Uh, and uh, I, 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 now I lecture with all these people, but <laughs> uh, St Stuart McGill is the leading uh, spine biomechanist uh, in the world uh, and uh, and a good friend. And Dr. Charlie Weingroff uh, has been an influence out of New York. So really, really talented uh, 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 physician. He, uh, he works with uh, several different sports teams. Um, I can't remember the names of them right now. Um, but those are, uh, and then uh, Dr. Kelly Starrett. Actually, I was just down uh, filming with him last week. Um, so from a, a physical therapy, mobility uh, background. So those, those were a lot of my initial, uh, you know, mentors in those different fields. And it was really come down to finding the best of the best in each of those disciplines. They, they literally are. And, uh, and so you'll see them and then others now added onto uh, our advisory board. Like we've got arguably the best orthopedic surgeon in the world. We've got, it doesn't call out their teams. Uh, because we can't do that but uh uh <laughs> let's just say uh you know uh well i think on a podcast i can cover it but the head strength coaches for like oh you know the the, the world series champion and and some other teams as well so uh um some pretty pretty good in the trenches figures we'll say um so it's it's just been really really great being able to develop that network because there's so much you learn in attending you know uh, seminars, reading their books, but the actual being able to sit there and have dinner and bounce things back and forth in a more uh, open manner on the questions of like, I, I don't know the answers to this. Let's think about this. Let's try this. Like it's really pulling those different areas and finding the commonalities within those. Um, and that's where the magic happens. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's uh, it's funny. I often tell like new strength coaches or trainers that, that ask, like, what do I do to get started in, in pre-COVID? It's like, go to as many seminars as you can in person because it's, it's way in person, different. Yep. 
than a webinar. It's so much different. Yep. Um, intern for somebody. So and you have no ability free. to build, build a relationship, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get the, you don't get the connection after the event's done or at dinner later on, even if you're doing yep. dinner with the attendees. Like I know I've had meals and conversations with attendees at seminars years ago that they ended up being some pretty big names and pretty cool people. Uh-huh. Now Absolutely. And it's like, yeah. you have to, you have to go to those, especially as soon as COVID's done and people start doing it again, I can't encourage people enough. Go to yeah. these seminars as much as you can. Like it's just yep. so helpful. Um, that's what I did. I mean, I, and that's where I said, I, I was a figure. I didn't ask for discounts. I didn't ask for nothing. Mm-hmm. I signed up like everybody else and showed up. Yep. And, and the relationship developed on its own based on, um, based on those pieces. So, yeah. And you know what? I can even think of, uh, the event I went to at your place. Um, Paul's a good example. And even Christian, um, I've known of them for years. I've, interacted with them online for years but it wasn't until i went to like four events with christian in a row that he was kind of finally like oh okay hey cody like i know who you are and then paul now i'm on a closer basis too because he was like oh i see you pop up all the time it's good to put a face and we hung out and connected and like commenting on their instagram posts is one thing but (laughs) show up and invest in them and that's really how you develop a relationship and do it because you want to learn from them not just because you want to be friends Absolutely. It's got to, it, it has to be, uh, authentic, yeah. all those pieces. Like yeah. if it's not, it'll, you, you can't fake this stuff. No, um, man, I want to respect your time. This has been so awesome. I probably talked to you for like two or three more hours on strength alone, but, um, <laughs> give us uh, you dropped quite a bit of different things. You're doing a million things. Give us as many links as you want, as far as like websites to find your stuff and what you offer, what you sell, what you do, um, as well as your Instagram. So people can follow you and, and learn from you more consistently. Honestly, it's, uh, on social media, it's easy. It's just type my name and I'll, I'll pop up. So, uh, Instagram, uh, you know, it's mad underscore scientist underscore Duffin, but just type in Chris Duffin. Uh, I don't really interact on Facebook. I do interact on uh, LinkedIn. I do have Facebook accounts, but um, uh, so I'm a, but uh, link, LinkedIn and Instagram are the two platforms where I actually interact at. Uh, KabukiStrength.com, Barefoot, uh, uh, BarefootAthletics.com. Might be changing. I think Barefoot Shoes as well. That's with a E-A-R, bear, err. Uh, build fast formula. And then the new one will be Kratos, uh, fly dot fitness. Uh, but you can find links to all those as well on my personal, uh, page, which is Chris Duffin.com or Christopher Duffin.com. Uh, either one of those will work, uh, pop in there and I'll have links to all those. And it has links to, to my book as well, which you can find on pretty much any platform. It's on audio as well, but there's a really cool, uh, program. Uh, and there's a link to it on my, on my page where you, if you don't have an audible account, you can download mine plus one other book for free um, uh, with that. And so it's a, it's, it's a really great program and yeah, so uh, that's it. You'll find it. I'm not going to push or pimp anything really. That's not my style. Um, follow our stuff. Uh, we do have a really cool page. Uh, so we're on YouTube as well. Kabuki strength uh, contents dropped almost daily it probably is daily on, on movement principles. Uh, it's also on, uh, Instagram on Kabuki underscore virtual coaching. So there's daily content drop there as well by our team. Uh, so we've got a in-house recording studio and they're working on stuff all the time based on these principles we talked about. Love it, man. I, I, if I'll push it for you, I think everybody who is a coach listening or just somebody serious about training, which is a hundred percent of the people who listen to this podcast, Definitely go check out the videos because there's so much value in there and grab a barbell because I promise you, you will not regret it. Um, and the cool thing about Audible too is you can actually exchange titles. So like if they, you know, if you do this, you get his book for free and you grab another book and the other book sucks or like you're ready for your next one and your next month isn't there, you can just exchange it for a different book, which I never knew until recently. And now I've been, I have this huge list of books and I'm like, oh, I'll just exchange these so I can listen to multiple every there month. You go. But, um, <laughs> cheat the system guys. But uh, dude, thank you so much. I appreciate your time uh, a ton. So it's been great. Awesome. Thanks, Cody. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. 
It's so empowering, and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.